right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Parkview. I especially applaud you guys for coming out in the cold and on the ice. So um, be careful going back to your cars on the way out. Everybody live streaming, we still love you. No, we're glad that you are watching with us at home or wherever you are, too. So, um, and I appreciate you guys singing. I sounded way better singing this hour than I did last hour because of these guys right here. Beautiful, great voices. So it's good to be with you. So um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses in chapter 2. If you didn't bring one, you can swipe one on your phone if you'd like, or we'll have some slides on the screen that you could follow along. So, and uh, I just echo Mike's welcome to you if you're new to Parkview. I'll be in the foyer afterwards. I would love to talk to you and greet you here as well. So, um, and uh, do highly encourage the marriage conference deal on Friday night. Please stay home if you have a perfect marriage, all right? We don't need any of you guys around. But if there's, you want to meet some people, you want to have some fun, you want to eat some food and get some tips for your marriage, like we'd love to see you there Friday night, all right? So, so um, this weather and a uh, few different situations in my life brought to mind some rescue stories in my life. I know, do you have a rescue story where you were in big trouble and then somebody came along just in the nick of time and rescued you? So uh, I grew up in the country out just outside of Ames, and so I've got different stories of me in my Mercury Capri trying to hop over some big drifts in blizzard conditions and not faring so well. But probably my favorite winter rescue story, some of you heard it before, was back in the day, my kids were little, we had three, and our dog in a minivan on Christmas morning, because I drew the preach on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning card that year, so, um, and we were going to go to Des Moines right afterwards to where my parents lived, so everything was packed, I think the dog was even in the van, because right after church we were just going to go. So we're taking off, and the, the van was just loaded to the hilt, it was a very cold, windy day, so we're driving across I-80, and right before exit 168, one of my tires goes flat. It's like, no, you're kidding me. God, like I preach Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You couldn't, you give me some mercy and some love today, you know? And so kind of limp over to the side of the road and limp up at the exit just a little bit. And it's like, oh, man, I'm just trying to think through. I got a dog. Like, what's the dog going to do? I got to unpack the whole back. I got to get the jack out. I got to, like, I'm going through all that. But guys, it wasn't but 30 seconds before this pickup truck pulls out behind me and this guy just springs out and he comes up to my window and he goes, you got a flat tire? It's like, yeah, I do. He goes, can I change it for you? I just got a hydraulic jack for Christmas and I can't wait to use it. It's like, oh no, are you kidding me? Like, and he goes, this is gonna be so fun. And he just jumped out and he changed the tire for me and I think we even limped to a Walmart afterwards on that little fake tire you're supposed to use in the interim. 45 minutes, we were done, back on our way. Like, what a gift. Like, I still can't imagine what Christmas would have been like that year without that rescue. So, but Ephesians 2, um, we are told the greatest story of rescue uh, that there is to be told. In fact, um, some people say that if you want to just boil the Bible down to, to one theme, that theme could be rescue. Because uh, in a, <laughs> we're in a much graver situation than a family in a minivan on a cold day with a flat tire. And so this passage is going to hit us right between the eyes about how desperate our condition is uh, as, as human beings, right? We're going to see the ultimate story of rescue. And this passage in particular, for some reason, God in his favor in the last year has given me many opportunities to be there when people have understood the message of this passage 
and to just visibly see their response to it. There's one woman earlier this year when she understood this passage, literally started bawling in my office. It was about a month ago, it was this passage that helped a man who was just kind of stuck in a lot of different things break free from being stuck. I'm so excited to teach this to you, to study it with you this morning, because in the essence here, we're going to learn what it means to be saved. I, when I was in Texas going to grad school, uh, they took saved and made it into like a three or four syllable word. Saved. Are you saved? And so, but what does say here, saved? How do you know you're saved? And for some people, that sounds like a religious word. What do you mean saved? Like, what are we saved from? What does that mean? Well, this passage will make it really clear. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we're studying this book in the Bible called Ephesians. It was written by Paul to some Christians living in this town called Ephesus. They were a newer church. They were struggling with a lot of different things, and Paul loved them deeply, and he's trying to encourage them. If you were there for chapter one, or if you've studied that chapter before, you see how he's just trying to infuse some very encouraging promises from God about who they are in Christ. He's trying to bolster them. He just loves them. You can tell by how he's teaching them, but here will be the essence of them understanding how loved they are by God and how valued they are by God. And I need to warn you that it's going to start very blunt. Like this whole message of the gospel or the essence of Christianity starts with some very painful, bad news. It's like going to a doctor who's going to tell you the truth about a terminal condition in your heart. It's going to hit us between the eyes. But we're going to also see that there is a solution that God offers us. And guys, I don't know all of you, like we've not talked about your faith this morning, but my prayer this morning is that this passage will be crystal clear to all of us. It'll just lay it out there. What does it mean to be saved, to be rescued by God? Because I think, unfortunately, if you were to ask a lot of people today, uh, what is the message of Christianity? Like, what was the, what was the essence of the teachings of Jesus? I think too many people are answering the wrong way. They're saying things like, well, you just try to be as good as you can, or there's a set of moral ethics that Jesus taught, and everybody does their best to follow those. And at the end of the day, God kind of evaluates, and did you do more good than bad? Or were you trying hard? What was in your heart in the way that you lived your life? And you will see from today's passage that those are completely false representatives of the Bible and of what Jesus came to teach. And I think, unfortunately, um, as I've just talked with and interacted with people that go to this church, and that maybe they're newer, maybe they've been here a year or two, still don't understand this message that we're going to hear today. So my prayer is by the end of this morning that we will be sure. Are you sure you understand what it means to be saved and to be rescued? And then if you now say, well, yeah, I know that, so sitting for me. Nuh-uh. Like I said, because when Paul was writing this, I would say most of the people he was writing to knew this, but there was still something he wanted them to glean. Like as he's been trying in chapter one to encourage them about God's love for them and of their meaning and value to God, this is the essence of demonstrating God's love for you. And even at the end of this passage, what God wants you to do with this, all right? And so my prayer is like, if you already know this, that there's this, this will enhance your love for Jesus and what he's done for you, and that this will enhance in you an urgency to, to make sure the people in your life know this message 
because it completely changes our lives, and it is our only hope of rescue, all right? So let me pray that those things happen, and then we'll study this great text together. So let's pray. Father, would you teach us today? I, I, I know all the scripture is inspired by you, and you love every word of your scripture, but I, I wonder if this especially, this passage, brings a smile to your face because we're going to honor your son. We're going to honor your grace. And we're going to honor the gift that you want every one of us to have, the gift of salvation. So please teach us today from your word. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right, so it's good. we're going to jump in the deep end of the pool right away. We're going to the, the bad news, all right? Chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Guys, this is bad news. This is us. This is our world. This is people in our lives uh, that maybe right now don't know Jesus, don't understand all this, don't understand what we believe. Uh, this is a diagnosis from our Heavenly Father, and the situation is dire. This is severe. Trespasses and sins are the beginning of the issue here. A trespass uh, and sin is obviously you're violating God's word. You're not doing what God wants. Um, but the, the concept of trespass has more emphasis on the fact that we're going away from God, that our, our human nature, our bent is just to kind of go away from God. The trespass means we're walking away from him. Where we got that was when we, as a church, studied the book of Genesis back in the fall. It just happened with the very first man and woman. It's been kind of passed on to us. The very first man and woman were created by God. He loved them. He blessed them. He put them in an amazing garden. And he told them, hey, out of this whole garden, just go enjoy it. Like, eat whatever you want from all these trees. Like, just enjoy my blessings. Enjoy the blessing of being in my presence. The only thing I ask is that you do not eat from the fruit of this one tree. And yet, in spite of the beautiful setup, in spite of the blessings of being in God's presence, the first man and woman were deceived by the enemy, by Satan, to doubt that God is good, to, to give them the impression that they can do whatever they want to do. And if they do whatever wanna, they want to do, it'll be as good as what God could offer. And there are no consequences for it. You can do whatever you want. In spite of the fact that God warned them that if you eat from that tree, you will die. You will die. And so they didn't believe God. They believed the enemy. They took the fruit and they were cut off from God. So in that moment, as we read last, last fall, they didn't just die on the spot. Uh, they continued to live their lives, but death eventually took both Adam and Eve. They were created to live forever. But in that moment that they sinned, they were separated and cut off from God, from fellowship with God, from the life that God wanted to pour into their lives. And from that point on, that has been the story of humanity. That's my story, that's your story, is that we are a people who are dead in our trespasses and sins. 
So we kind of know that on the surface, like we've all, probably a lot of us maybe made New Year's resolutions. Like there's things about us we just kind of want to, by the way, most of you have probably dropped those already by now, right? So, or, or like self-help sections in bookstores are just brimming. Like there's something in us, we know something's off. It's much worse than we think. Like we are cut off from God. We are separated from God. We are dead in our sins, all right? And he goes on to describe that. It's like as we're walking away, what we're doing is we're following the course of this world, that we live in a whole world that's bent the same direction, a whole world that's just drifting from God, not trusting God, not believing in God, not, not trusting God to be the giver of life, but we're trying to find our own life. It's almost like an undercurrent. If you've been in an ocean before and uh, grew up in Maryland, uh, and uh, there were times where my family would go uh, to Ocean City, my fa- favorite vacation spot, just long beach, and uh, go out and just ride waves, you know, for hours. But the problem was you always had to have a place on the shore that you, you lined up with, if it had been a building in the background behind it, or to see where your umbrella and chairs set up were. Because if you didn't, it was rare that the waves would push you straight in to the shore. There was always an angle to them. So you could be riding waves for half an hour or an hour, and then you go to go back to your blanket or back to your chairs and like, wait, where'd it go? Because you got drifted clear down the shore. And so even then as parents, like when we've taken kids uh, to Ocean City before, that's a whole different perspective. Like you try to teach the kids that, okay, every so often just kind of look up because we don't want you to like clear down the shore that way. And so just maybe more from God's angle, just watching his people just constantly just slowly drifting away as they're following the course of this world. You'll just see that, um, for example, if you follow Jesus, you know what it's like if you get detached from the Word of God, or you get detached from other Christians, or you get detached, detached from worship? Like you'll do the same thing. You'll see yourself just start drifting and drifting further from God. There's a constant undercurrent in this world that's pushing you further and further away from God. And so uh, we trespass. We are kind of following the course of the world that's doing the same thing. And really, the whole thing is we are following the prince of the power of the air. Again, who's leading that charge away from God? It's the enemy. It's Satan who's very alive and real. We're going to see more about him in the book of Ephesians. Um, but Satan hates God, and for this time period, he knows he can't beat God. So what he does to get God is he attacks the thing that's dearest to God's heart, and that's God's people created in his image. So he will do all that he can to deceive us, to beat us down, to discourage us, to keep us from doing anything uh, but trust in God and follow God. So, so that's, that's where we're headed. But probably the words that may have hit you the hardest with what we just read was where, we were, where it says, we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. It's getting heavy this morning, but this is, this is the bad news. Like this is uh, the beginning of what Paul wants us to realize, that, that we were by nature children of wrath. A lot of people may hear that and go, wait a minute, I thought God is love. Like the Bible says, God is love. And so the important thing when you're trying to figure out who God is or describe God, you can't just take one attribute because a verse in the Bible or several verses say that God is this because God has many qualities and attributes. Probably the most often used attribute is the word holy. God is holy, separate, distinct, perfect, without sin, but the, the wrath of God is a theme in the Bible. You'll see it at least a hundred times, maybe more, where it talks about God's wrath. And when God shows wrath, it is always wrapped in his other qualities. Like, it's perfect wrath. It's, it's just wrath. It's, you know, bathed in his holiness. It's not like 
God's going to just have a temper tantrum and get mad at the wrong people. Like when God shows anger and shows wrath, it is justified. And so we, because of sin, because of us betraying God, walking away from God, we are children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And so um, a good analogy of this, I heard a story this week of a, of a guy remembering the time he saw his dad get the maddest. Like, when's the time you saw your dad just, just erupt in anger? And this guy, he's a man now, but he remembers the day when he was a, a little kid and he was going to visit his grandmother in a care facility. So he's with his dad, going to visit his dad's mom. And when they walked in to the complex, they heard a, they heard a kind of a, a cry, a painful cry, kind of in the distance. But as they walked down the hall and towards his grandmother's room, they saw it was his grandmother that was strapped into a chair in a very awkward way, and she had been leaned over in her body and was just there dangling and was in a lot of pain. And there were workers from the care facility around just kind of doing their thing while she suffered. And this guy remembers his dad's reaction and his wrath and his anger at the people who were not caring for his mom. There you saw a beautiful picture of, of love for a mom, but just anger at just injustice. And that's our God. Like when he shows his wrath, this world is filled with injustice. We would not want a God that's indifferent to that. Human trafficking, oh, it's no big deal. You know, or poverty, that's no big deal. No, 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 we have a God that uh, has righteous anger. And so this is the hardest thing for us to get our heads around because we'll agree with that. We, like we'll draw a circle here and go, yeah, those are all the really bad things in this world. And yeah, the wrath of God should pour down on those things. Those are really bad things. But guess what this passage is telling us? Like, we're right there too. Like, we are right, deservedly so, in that circle that we are deserving of uh, the wrath of God. And that's a, that's a part we do not get our heads around. But that is the beginning of this text. We are dead, okay? Dead people can't help themselves. And we are objects of the wrath of God. That is a absolute horrendous setup. We're hopeless, right? So, the most beautiful transition, and there's, there's maybe others in the Bible, but to me, this week being in this passage, these two words of transition, <laughs> these, these, we cling to these. We need these. We're desperate for these two words. And they are the words, but God, right? But God. And that's verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he just pauses and he throws this phrase in there, and you're going to see it again, because I think he wants us to get this is the key phrase. By grace you have been saved. By grace, you've been saved. And then he raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So verses one to seven are one sentence. And if you were with me last couple weeks, basically... You start in verse 3 of chapter 1, and you go all the way down to verse 7 of chapter 2. Those are three sentences. Like Paul's just throwing phrase after phrase, clause after clause in here. But if you were to take chapter 2 and just boil it down and take out all the clauses and the descriptors, here's the message 
of 1 through 7 is that we were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. We were dead, but God made us alive together in Christ. We are saved. These might be some interesting comments for you to get your heads around. We were saved by God, okay? We didn't chip in. This wasn't, it's just, we were saved by God. Here's another one that might be new to you to think about. We were saved from God. Like we're saved from the wrath of God that we deserve. We're saved by God. We're saved from God. And as you're going to see at the end of this chapter, we're saved for God. That's this beautiful act of rescue that we're celebrating this morning. Saved by God, saved from God, and saved for God. You say, well, what, what motivated him to do this? Why did he do this? And verse 4 says that God is rich in mercy. Think of mercy, you think of pity with a purpose, that, that when he saw our condition and he saw the impending judgment on people who are already dead and couldn't do anything about it, we were completely helpless. God was moved in mercy for us. Mercy means you hold back judgment that someone deserves. Someone deserves judgment, you hold that back. Out of your kindness to somebody who deserves judgment, you, you hold that judgment back. God was rich in mercy, and he had a great love for us fact that the, the essential love in the New Testament, whenever the New Testament says this is love, it always makes a beeline to the cross. Like there is no greater demonstration of love, of unconditional, perfect love, than when Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We deserved the wrath of God, and Jesus died for us, and Jesus died in our place. There is no greater example of love. And so then he goes on to say then that we were raised, like Jesus was raised, we are raised from death, and then we are to be seated with him in the heavenly realm. So just like when Jesus died on the cross, he took the wrath of God that we deserved, because that was the most heinous act that's ever happened on this planet. The sinless son of God died on a cross. Jesus took the wrath of God. Jesus died, but then rose again from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, what God did for Jesus, he's doing for us through the gospel, through Jesus, that he will raise us from being spiritually dead. And then when we die physically, he will raise us and seat us at the right hand at, at, in the heavenlies. There's a seat reserved for us. We are adopted into his family. We saw that in chapter one. We were chosen by him. We saw that in chapter one. And we, in chapter one, were called his inheritance. Like we are for God. Like we are, in, in a sense, a gift for God. That's how much he values us and loves us. You talk about an amazing rescue from dead and deserving wrath to now loved, shown mercy and grace, and now adopted and brought up and have a seat reserved for us in the heavenly places. That is the greatest rescue that you will ever hear about, and that's the greatest rescue that we need in our lives. So uh, what we got to be crystal clear of is this, is that we in no way chipped into this process. We, we didn't, like, we don't get an assist in this. Like, God gets all the credit. God gets all the glory for this. Um, in fact, a good summary of this, Paul gives us in verses 8 and 9, where he says, uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. This is not your doing, right? So, so some people ask, like, if you look at those two verses I just read, well, what is the gift of God? Like, what, what part of that is the gift of God? Is it the grace part, or is it the saved 
apart for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. So is the gift the grace, or is it being saved, or is it the faith? And just, people know way more than me about the language here, just say that the this, that pronoun, could really modify all three of those. It could be the grace, it could be the faith, it could be the saved. In fact, the suggestion is, the best way to translate that is, it's the whole package, it's the whole process. This whole thing of being saved isn't us doing it. It's all a gift from God. He did all the work. So it's not like when any of us get to heaven, uh, who have our faith in Jesus Christ, who have received this gift. It's not like any of us, when we get there, we're going to walk in the doors or whatever there is there, and everybody's going to stop and just start applauding. He made it. Look what he did. Like, it's like you made it out of an escape room or something. He beat the clock. Like, he, here he is. Like, what a guy. Like, it's not going to be anything like that. But there is going to be a party in heaven. Every time a sinner repents, Luke 15 tells us that in heaven there's a celebration. But the one being celebrated, the one being praised, isn't going to be us. It's going to be Jesus. We see that in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. There's just constant singing in heaven toward Jesus as being the one who has rescued us from sin. So it is all Jesus. And guys, this is the uniqueness of the gospel. I just cringe when people say, oh yeah, Christianity is just like all the other religions. No, it's not, okay? So get this, because in this passage, it makes it crystal clear. Let me just summarize other religions. Confucianism, you are saved by education and self-reflection, self-cultivation, living a moral life. Hinduism, these are all just quick summaries, but there's a similar theme. You hear them, that people just say, oh, that's what religion is, that it's detaching yourself your separated ego, living in unity with the divine, with Islam, live a holy life of good deeds, in Judaism, repentance, prayer, working hard to obey the law. Many people will just say, well, you just be a good person. Like, you try to do as many good things as you can, and God will look in your heart and see, you know, that, that there was good, good in your heart, and then he will save you. Or unfortunately, sometimes even some of the funerals you go to, people will say, well, he's in a better place now. It's almost like all you have to do is die, and then that just earns you the automatic passage into heaven. What this message, this passage is making is crystal clear, is that the only way we are saved is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He did all the work. So if you want to summarize, like other religions, worldviews, the way of salvation is do, 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 do this, do this, do this, do this. In those thought patterns, Jesus is a moral teacher who gave us a bunch of stuff that we're supposed to just run after and climb the ladder and do as many of those as we can, and that's how you're saved. And Paul would say that is not the gospel. Like, that is not how you're saved. It's not do, 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 do. Just think of the word done, okay? It's been done for us through Jesus on the cross. He finished the work. He did the heavy lifting. All we need to do is trust in him. The woman who, it was earlier in the year, uh, was meeting with this couple, uh, she did not get this, and we had to circle around it a couple different times. The analogy that helped her was this. It was like, you know, just look, here's the deal. It's like we were drowning, like, because she kept coming back to, well, don't I do something? Like, shouldn't I, shouldn't I do something? It's just like, look, we're drowning, and like the only thing, the last gasp of air we have is that we stick a hand up, and then Jesus comes, and he just pulls us out, like Jesus does all the work, I think this pastor would even say he gave us the ability to raise the arm. But there we go. He pulls us up, and he brings us in the boat. Like, that's how desperate we are. And that's when it just clicked in with her. Like, wow, he just, he loved me that much. Like, he's, he did all the work to rescue me, didn't he? And it's just like, that just hit her. That's, 
the huge difference here. It's what Paul wants us to understand. That's what God wants us to understand. So, um, guys, again, so many people confuse this. If I, if I were to ask you, like, if we had a conversation this week, um, are you saved? Like, have you been rescued by Jesus? And if you start saying things like, well, you know, I'm just trying to figure this God stuff out. I'm starting to go to church. You know, I'm really trying to read my Bible more, and I swear a lot, so I'm trying to stop swearing, and I'm trying to uh, maybe be a little more patient with my kids, and uh, those kind of things. Like, I just say, you're just, you're swimming the wrong direction. Like, the gospel is, is not based on, those are, I appreciate, and I mean, those are okay. You're trying to do those things, but that is not saving you. What saves you is what Jesus has done for you. You just reach out, put your faith in Jesus. He does the work. He saves you, all right? So, so if I ask you, are you saved? And you say yes. And then I ask you, well, how do you know? How do you know? Your only answer is going to be because Jesus has rescued me. Because Jesus did all the work. I was dead. I was a sinner. I could do nothing to save myself. And Jesus saved me. So um, I just want to stop now. I, this last hour, last service, I had probably a half dozen or so people just come up and say, I did not know that until today. Thank you. And um, so I want to just pause and just give us a chance to let you just personally respond to God. Maybe you've just been thinking this whole salvation thing is up to you, but I hope you're hearing now it's not because you're dead <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, but he's, he's ready to just pull you up. He's ready to forgive you and give you a relationship with God through him. And so um, I have one more point I'm going to make after this. This isn't the end of my sermon. But in this part of the sermon, I want to give you a chance just to respond to that with God, all right? And so um, let's, let's just pray quietly where you are. And if that's something you just want to talk to God and say, God, I, I had that wrong. I didn't understand. Salvation is a gift. I put my faith in Jesus. So give you time to respond to that. If you already knew that, Maybe it's a time where you just pray for people sitting around you or friends you know that don't know this yet. Let me just give you, let me just back off, give you a little time to pray right now. God, this doesn't make any sense why you would do this for us, except that you're a God who's rich in mercy and great in love, and that you poured your grace out on us through Jesus on the cross. All we have to do is just trust Jesus, put our hand up, say, rescue me. So thank you, Father, for that. Amen. So the last question we're going to just ask and answer quickly here is like, so why did God do that? Like, what's his plan? What, what happens next? Let's look at verse 10, just the last verse. And I would say verse 10 is actually, I would connect it with 8 and 9. This is all part of the gift that God is giving you, okay? This is, he wants to save you, but then there's one, one more thing he wants to do with you here. Verse 10, look at this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, this is a profound verse. The word workmanship there, maybe you've 
heard this before or not. The Greek word is poema. Like we get the word poem from it. It was used for an artistic expression. It could be a sculpture or a painting or, or a beautiful poem. Um, but what this really is saying here is that we are God's workmanship, that he has created us. Uh, there's one other time that word is used in the New Testament. I don't have it on the screen, but it's Romans 1.20. Let me read that verse to you and just kind of enhance this concept about you being God's workmanship, his masterpiece, okay? Romans 1.20 says this, for God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What, what this verse is saying is God's creation is amazing. It's staggering. When you look at the galaxies and the universe, and the Rocky Mountains and the oceans or whatever it is you want to look at, you say God's creation is, is amazing. And God reveals himself through his creation so that really no one on the planet can say, I didn't know there was a God because we're just surrounded by this beautiful creation made by God. But where it said this, it said God poured all of his attributes uh, in the creation of the world through the things that have been made. So like God is expressing his power, his beauty, his wisdom through the things that have been made. That's the, the same form of word as, as poema. So you look at the word poema in Ephesians 2.10, it's like God is pouring all that he is, his wisdom, beauty, strength, skill, just all of that has been poured into making you. Like that's how, how when God looks at you, just he is stunned. Like you are the pinnacle of God's creation. You're the only, we are the only part of God's creation created in his image. So where God could gaze at so many other things that he has created, the, the part of his creation that catches his eye the most is you and me. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The, the, the nuance there is that we are recreated in Christ. So if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, we were created in the image of God. Like all that dignity, that honor, uh, your value because you're created by God is there. But in a sense now, but then we sinned and we were dead. But now Jesus has made us alive. So now even more so being recreated by Christ and God's workmanship, like we have an amazing setup. Like you are incredibly valuable to God, every, every one of us. And there's so many different ways the world maybe downplays you or overlooks you or whatever it is. But in God's eyes, like you are his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. Like there's, there's things now that God wants to do through us as he's recreated us in Christ through all that he has given us and his skill and his power and all of that. God wants to do great things through us, which God has already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Because that's crazy. Like, it's like if you could put on some special lenses and just look down the road of your life, like the next 10 minutes, the next 10 hours, the next 10 days, 10 years, like you would just see sprinkled all along there, just good works that God has already prepared for you to do. So it could be going home today and whoever you hang out with or with your family. Maybe it's like you're bringing some words of encouragement. Maybe it's you're helping out around the house, like just in the home front. Uh, maybe it's this week in your role as a dad, you're really spending time with your kids or really encouraging your wife, whatever it is. But then you got your workplace, you got your school. Uh, there's already things just lined up for you in your neighborhood. Uh, things lined up for you to do good works. Uh, you're going to see in the rest of Ephesians, Paul's going to talk a lot about the church and how, how strategic and valuable the church is to God. There's also good works that God has given you to employ in this body, in this church, where if you're in a community group, you're using your gifts to encourage people uh, in the group. Or when Mike talked earlier about uh, 
some skilled men and women on our deacon team looking to, to bless our community in different ways, like using your gifts there. Uh, pray for Mike and his team. He leads our high school ministry, junior high ministry. They're skiing today, <laughs> so uh, pray for them. It's cold. But um, just Mike's heart and desire is to see Bible studies for as many kids as want to be in them. You know, ideally every grade, every gender, every school has a Bible study for them. Like if there's, you know, something in there, God has wired you to really connect with students. So there's so many ways that God has equipped you uh, to do good works. He's already got those planned out for you. I, I just, I marvel at Christianity. It is, it is not like the other religions where you do, do, do. It's all been done for you. So here's the deal with Jesus. It's like you offended him. We've offended God. We are dead objects of wrath. But then God had mercy. God had grace. Jesus died for us, saved us. We are guaranteed a spot in heaven. And then we are recreated by Christ to do good works. And so now the rest of our lives, there's good things God has created us to do. He's already got them planned. As we follow God and we do those, then we die. We go to heaven. We, we are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. And then we're rewarded for our good works. Like what? Like he, he's the one that set them up. He's the one that empowered me. It's just like, this is an incredible setup. Like this whole concept of the grace of God. That is how loved you are. That is how valuable you are to God. That is what Jesus has done for you, to set you free from sin, to stop living for yourself, and to start living this life uh, of good works. Please get the good works in the right order, okay? The good works do not save you, but once you are saved and rescued by Jesus, then he starts doing good works through you. It's all part of the grace package. It's part of the gift that you received when you just said, Jesus, I need you, save me. All right? Good works don't save you. They're evidence that you are saved. And Jesus starts working in you. Here's an analogy just to kind of wrap it up. I didn't know this. I learned this this week. Uh, but in Florence, Italy, I, I, I've known about this statue by Michelangelo, the David statue. It's one of the most famous statues in the world. But I didn't know the backstory to it, where it was like in the 1400s, the people in Florence uh, wanted to decorate this one area with with big statues of either Old Testament prophets or Greek uh, mythological figures. And so one was made of Joshua, one was made of Hercules, and the next one was supposed to be made of David. But the big slab of marble that they got to make the David statue uh, was faulty in many ways. In fact, it's been studied even in our current day and said, yeah, that's a, that's a faulty piece of marble. But there were a couple different sculptors. In fact, one guy started to work on the David. It's just like, I'm not going to do this. Like, you expect me to do something with this piece of marble? And so it literally sat in a courtyard uh, just out in the elements uh, for at least 25, 50 years, just sat there until finally it was too big to just kind of discard. So like somebody had to do something with it. So finally, Michelangelo, Michelangelo was 26 years old, and they said, look, you got two years. Do something with that slab. <laughs> he turned it into by far the most famous statue sculpture in the world. So I've not been there. But you go, there's a whole museum just built to honor the, the David. And so people wait in long lines and even wrap around the building and they'll walk by other sculptures and other paintings because they've got to go see this David statue, right? So, so now imagine if that piece of marble could just start talking, all right? And so let's say, let's say that that piece of marble starts talking and says, look at all these people coming to see me. Like, wow, aren't I so... Good. Like, out of all the marble, I'm the greatest. Look what's happening to me. Look at all these people coming to honor me. And we'd look at that and go, no, that's absolutely foolish, because that's not the story. 
the, the, the response from that, if that stone could talk, would be, I can't believe that I went from being a discarded, you know, overlooked slab of marble, and now look what I've been crafted into on a much grander scale. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that's our story, is that we were dead in our sins. We had nothing to offer God, but in his grace, he saved us. We have a seat in the heavenlies reserved for us, and on this, alert, on this earth, we have a God who's now committed to us, who is doing good works through us that he's already prepared in advance for us to do. We are so valuable to him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works, to bring him more and more glory. That's the gospel. And I, I, my prayer is that gospel just reminds you of God's love for you, how valuable you are, how significant you are, and that it inspires you to make sure the people in your life know that message. And, and, and inspires you toward good works now that don't bring you praise, that, but bring praise to the Jesus who saved you, right? So let's pray. And I'm going to invite you again to pray. Um, let me give you three, three, three targets here. Let's go back to that first target about we were dead. This is a time to acknowledge who we are, who we were, our rebellion. Maybe even this week, there's times you've reverted back to that, you've drifted from God, but what a great chance right now to just own up and just confess to God who we are in our sin. We do not deserve his love. We do not deserve the gospel. But then let's praise him for his mercy and grace. Let's praise him that he made us alive together with Christ.